Our universe is incredible, surrounded by mystery and beauty, and many of us have questions about our past, present, and future. October Hollum is an intuitive medium with over 20 years of experience. She has assisted people with discovering their path by understanding their past and connected the living to their loved ones who have made the transition. She is currently offering readings through Skype, Zoom, FaceTime, phone, and in person. You can reach her at theancientgift222 at gmail.com. Welcome back to Forbidden Knowledge News. I'm your host, Chris Matthew. Today, my guest is Dr. Mary Helen Hensley. Before I bring her on, I have a few announcements. Of course, I have to thank C60 Purple Power, which is a necessity for me because of the dramatic improvements I've had when it comes to my health, including more energy, better sleep, and losing over 30 pounds. Please check out their website to learn more about all the amazing benefits or click the link in the description. If that doesn't work for some reason, go to c60purplepower.com and uh, use coupon code KNOWLEDGE10. And when you place your order, you're going to get 10% off plus free shipping. And we're nearly at our relocation fundraiser goal, which is completely awesome. I want to thank everyone who's donated so far. You are absolutely amazing. You're going to be able to help us relocate, set up our new studio, and get everything we need to get done by December. Um, we're going to be doing the fundraiser until the end of the month. So anyone that donates $10 or more is going to get a three-month free subscription to our premium video site when it launches in December. And any donation of $25 or more, and you will get a copy of Corey Hughes' upcoming, what I call JFK Bible. It is the definitive breakdown of the assassination of JFK. Uh, it's going to end up being a series of books, and it's going to be amazing. So you will be put on the list to get those things um, and if you have donated and you haven't gotten an email from me already please send me an email uh, forbiddenknowledgenews at gmail.com and finally be sure to describe to, to Forbidden Knowledge News on lbry.com that's library.com it is our official backup channel uh, just be ready for the next YouTube purge because you know that they're getting rid of uh, anything that uh, goes against their narrative right now. So that's lbry.com. All our content is already there. Today, I want to welcome Dr. Mary Helen Hensley. After receiving a BA in communications and graphic design from Coker University in Hartsville, South Carolina, she was involved in a high-speed collision in in Charleston, which resulted in a near-death experience. Riddled with injuries, including a broken neck, she went on to earn a doctorate in chiropractic at, chiropractic at Sherman College of Chiropractic in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Endowed with the gift of downloading an individual's biography in order to change their present state biology, she has facilitated the healing process for countless individuals. She's the author of nine books, including Promised by Heaven, co-author of the number one bestseller, Bringing Death to Life, and Understanding is the New Healing, Miraculous Recoveries from Physical and Emotional Trauma. 
Dr. Mary Helen, welcome. How are you today? Hey, it's so good to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, of course. Been looking forward to it. Your story is quite fascinating. Um, you were involved in a car accident that changed your life forever, and you were actually able to recount all that took place during your near-death experience. And I've had quite a, peop a few people that um, have had near-death experiences as guests, and it is so fascinating to hear the details and also similarities between each one. Um, and through this, uh, you were able to be reconnected to healing, uh, which was your... Um, your gift, I guess, uh, from this experience. Now, what was your life like before you had the, uh, the accident? Did you have um, strange or paranormal events or anything unusual happening in your life before that? I did. I always take it right back to the beginning, which means like the very beginning in the womb. Uh, <laughs> when um, my mother was pregnant with me, um, she was already 40. And, um, I was the fourth child to come and she ended up contracting the German measles during the pregnancy in the first trimester. And so when she and my father went to her doctor, basically they were told, you know, this isn't going to work out well. Um, cause this was in 1968 at the time. And, um, uh, you know, so the means to do anything about that, uh, kind of didn't exist at, at the, in those days, nor did we have ultrasound or anything like that. Um, and so my parents were sent home basically, you know, understanding that this child isn't going to be okay. And so my father was a minister, um, a Southern Baptist minister, but he wasn't kind of that holy roller, uh, fire and brimstone kind of guy. He was an American football coach and this really big guy and everything he talked about in the pulpit was a sports analogy. And that's why his churches were always full, um, because people really liked the way that he was able to compare everyday life or sports um, to the parables in the Bible. And this was it. That was his gig. And he was really good at this. Um, but he had his Christian box. He had his idea of what happens when we live, when we die. And so um, it was so interesting because there was one night after they had been given this news that my father had what he described as a celestial visit. Now, what was interesting about this was for a minister to use this term uh, because you would think he would use the term angels. Um, right. But he said these, they didn't have wings. These were not your typical angels. He said these were beings. And like, this is the last thing you'd ever hear coming out of that man's mouth. But he couldn't deny it. And so during this visit, these two beings ended up telling him that his daughter was going to be okay. Now, remember, they don't know I'm a, I'm a girl at that stage, that his daughter would be okay and that she was going to come in with some unusual abilities. And so this was a really big deal for my parents because, you know, imagine you've been giving this, dev this devastated news, devastating news that your child's not going to be okay. And then all of a sudden you've got these beings who have appeared out of nowhere and they're like, hey, not only is she going to be okay, but she's going to be a little on the unusual side. And so I'm born and my parents are like constantly watching, waiting, and, you know, everything seems pretty good. I was completely healthy, which was miraculous in that day. Um, and then, you know, a couple of years go by 
And it was, I always go back to an incident that happened when I was four and I was called into the kitchen in my house and I can, I can still remember sitting down at the table and my father sitting down and he, you know, was huge, big man and this big booming voice. And he said, sugar, do you know the difference between alive and dead? I'm four. And I'm like, uh, the reason that they finally sat me down and asked was because I was constantly speaking about my mom's dad, um, Dr. Garland Clark, who was from Winchester, Kentucky. And he was my very best friend when I was a child and, and to this day. Um, but my greatest confidant, he was there at all times. And we were talking about conversations like you wouldn't believe he was, he was prepping me, grooming me from a very early age um, about the idea of what it means to be in service. Now, did he appear to you just like anyone else or was it well, in spirit form or? That's the kicker is I'm thinking he's a real person all along. And I get called into this meeting at the kitchen table to find out that judge has been dead since I was one. And so my parents are trying to get their head around the idea that I'm talking about things about my grandfather judge that there's no way that I could know about and they can't deny it. And so now all of a sudden this little celestial visit is starting to make sense. So I imagine all your, your communication was when you were alone uh, to speak with your, uh, your grandfather, right? Yes. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Wow. And at nighttime usually, which was really interesting because I was never, I'm still, you know, I'm 51 years old and I, I sleep with the same pattern I did when I was four, um, you know, very little sleep. And it's a very interesting um, time sleep is for me. Um, a lot of journeying and a lot of, I just expect the sleep to be broken. I expect someone to turn up. I expect because it just has been happening my whole life. Um, so I never go to bed thinking I'm going to get like a 12 hour sleep or something like this. That just never happened ever in all of my years. Um, so yeah, you know, he would come in and he would talk to me about stuff and then I'd go tell my parents and they're like, there's no way she could know that. And so it was at four that I began to get my head around the idea that looking at you like that, even though I'm presuming you're a real guy sitting on the other side of that, but right now you're on a little flat screen here and we're having this real time conversation, but that's reality to me. So when I'm looking at my grandfather who looks like a real person to me, but um, is maybe not um, in a tangible form to other people, he was still very real to me. There was, I mean, he was palpable. I could, touch him he was there and so to suddenly find out that that's not other people's experience of that reality I was beginning to understand very early on that our perceptions of reality and the way that we can interact um, interdimensionally while we are incarnate is a very different and unique experience for every individual who's here that's fascinating. And I hear, um, you know, a lot of people that have these experiences as young children, um, experiences with paranormal activity are seeing spirits that eventually when they get a little older, it kind of starts to fade away. Uh, is, did that happen with you or did you, were you able to maintain this? <laughs> uh, no, it definitely didn't happen to me. Um, it, it, there were stages where I kind of wish it had, um, because as a kid, what was happening is, you know, you can only imagine, you know, your father's the local minister and you're, you're like, Hey dad, you know, Mrs. Jones is going to be dead on Tuesday. You better get working on that eulogy. Um, this was 
that was my reality is I would know something was going to happen before it happened, or I'd go to sleep and I would dream that so-and-so was going to die. And this also contributed to my weird sleep pattern because, you know, logic would say, if you know this about other people, eventually it's going to happen to someone in your own family. And so I think there was an element of, yeah, you know, is this really a gift or is this, um, more of a burden because it kind of really came to a head when I was 11 and I had um, dreamt the death of my dog and while I was away at camp and I had waited for 11 years for this dog. We were the Martinsville Bulldogs. My father was the head football coach of the Martinsville Bulldogs and you know back in the 70s high school spirit was like a, a Disney movie and you know the whole town was involved and it really was like that and and all I ever wanted was the team mascot. And I finally got my bulldog when I was 11 years old. And so when I dreamt very um, detailed points about Otto von Bismarck's death, um, yes, and it was named Otto von Bismarck. <laughs> nice name. Because, because that's what every 11-year-old names their dog. Um, right, very yeah. common, very common name. Yeah, and so... Um, it was that first real experience for me um, where it was someone that I loved, something that I loved, uh, because all the other things that had happened up to that point had been other people, people outside of my scope, my family, um, where you could feel sympathy for their loss, but you didn't have to empathize with the pain. And so at 11, the whole game changes for me because I am now, I was more in love with this dog than anybody in my life, you know? Um, so to, to dream that this dog dies and I was away at summer camp when it happened and, you know, I ran out in the middle of the night from my cabin and they wouldn't, um, you know, they wouldn't allow me to call my parents. And so, um, they said that if I was still so upset in the morning, it had just been a bad dream. And they, I was like, you don't understand. These aren't just bad dreams. And, um, but I couldn't really say anything either because my parents had sat me down after that four year old conversation and went, you know what? You're a little bit different, sugar. We need to we need to really be careful with this. And it was my father who said, you know, I believe that what you have is a gift from God. I believe it's um, it's something that's very real. Your mother and I have seen it, but I think it's probably best if we keep this in the family and just between us. I think that's actually very cool that your parents uh, were like that, that they understood you had this ability, but wanted you to be very careful with, you know, who you told and then how you used it and everything. So that I, Well, I like. it was interesting because they didn't want me even, they didn't talk about it with my siblings. So you can only imagine, you know, when I'm in my late thirties and I release my first book and my siblings are like, what? you know, because they just didn't know it had been something that we'd kept quiet for so long that it just became easy to keep quiet. And so when that first book came out, they were just like, uh, where was I during all this? <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, it was just really interesting because I really see that, that time at 11 years old as a real, um, real defining moment in my life. Um, so then as I moved on and from, from 11, um, I get older, I go off into college and it was interesting because, you know, at that stage you're awkward, you're 18, you're moving into a new environment and all you want to do really is fit in. And so it was 
again, something that made me different. It set me apart and that I wasn't really seeing as an asset um, as much as I was seeing it as a liability. So everything continues. I'm still having these dreams. Things are happening. But it starts getting a little more as I've matured, um, the experiences mature as well. So it goes from dreaming that this person is going to die to having somebody's dead father who lives in the dorm room above me come to me in the middle of the night. Um, it's the experiences began to change. And they still come in like this physical form to you? Oh, yeah. It looks they're the same as I'm looking at you, you know. It's amazing. Which I, which I guess because right now you're not physical to me. You're a video. Um, but it's still, I'm able to kind of put together in my own head that you're, you're real sitting there. I presume <laughs> if I get a phone call later and you're not, I'll be like, yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Now you continue having these experiences. Um, when did you have this near death experience? And, uh, let's, I guess, just tell us about that. Okay. So um, when I graduated from uh, college, you know, I'm from the South originally, and that's something that we do. If you're dating your college sweetheart, you're, you're kind of going that direction. You know, your mom's already secretly picking out the China patterns, and, um, you know, you're being kind of pushed towards matrimony um, if, the, if you're with that person. And so I was dating somebody who was from Charleston, and so it was kind of the natural progression that we would move to Charleston and, and begin finding jobs and starting life. And um, so we had graduated in May and in December of that same year. So this was 1991 on the 14th of December, it was in the afternoon and I was heading off um, to the sign company where I worked to go to the Christmas party. And so, you know, there was me with my big college degree thinking I was going to get this fabulous job. And um, I ended up getting the best job in the world because uh, I was handed a mop as opposed to a computer mouse and um, told you need to learn this business from the bottom up because if you're going to, if you're going to own or run business in the future, you need to know what every job looks like. And so I really loved these people, um, Frank and Teresa Coyne. They were very important to me at that stage and teaching me about life, but also they had great conversations with me um, about the idea that things that I had been taught to believe growing up might not be what was reality. It might've been the reality in my home and my family, but that didn't necessarily mean it was reality. And so they were just, they were just really neat people. So it was on, on the 14th of December and it was Charleston. So it was hot. And I was in my Santa Claus t-shirt and Bermuda shorts and took off towards town and, Charleston's a pretty big place, you know, at that time, about 350,000 people. And um, so I got to a stoplight that was about a mile from my home, uh, my apartment, and I sat and it was a red light. And so I stayed at that red light until it turned green. And I was at intersection um, of the intersection of Highway 17. And this is quite a big highway. Um, so you'd have to go across all these lanes of traffic and then turn towards town. And so my light had been red, their light turns red, my light turns green, I start across the traffic, and when I got to the final lane, I just happened to look, and there is a car that is flying towards me, and I'm like, 
that guy's not stopping. And so all of a sudden, as soon as I acknowledged that that was getting ready to happen, I knew I was going to die. Um, everything just stopped. It was literally at a snail's pace. And it's so funny because you think, oh, that's so Hollywood or whatever. That's exactly what it's like, though. Everything just crawled. Time just disintegrated. And so I'm now going, you know, click, click, click with each passing second going, okay, well, let's see. It's time to go. That car is coming at me. That's going to hurt like bad if I stay in my body. And now I'm all of a sudden hearing myself think, hmm, okay, I can either stay in and get what I need from the impact. Do I really need anything from that? Because I've done this before. Oh my God, I've done this before. Or I could just take off. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds better. Do you know? Because I've, I've died before. I don't need to do this. And I'm like hearing myself suddenly remember that this isn't the first and only time that I've lived. Because I can promise you that if I, if I even knew what the word incarnation was at that stage, um, I, I'd be surprised. I, I, it just wasn't in my scope. And so I'm now all of a sudden deciding that, oh, I've been there, done that. I'm going to get smashed. It would really hurt if I'm still inside the body. So I'm just going to go and take off now. And so there was this incredible sound, a drone. It was like a low vibration to which I've likened many times to the Irish Ilian pipes. I'm a, I'm a traditional music player and the pipes are, are my favorite sound because it means a really good sessions on the way. And so it's a bag pipes that the, the bag is filled under the arms and it makes this really kind of noise. And I'm like, what is that noise? And so I have since come to realize that that noise, that frequency is what keeps one tethered to the earth plane whilst going through that dying process. It's funny. I've heard that from people who have had out of body experiences before. There's this loud vibrating noise before you exit your body. Very interesting. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, I took, I took option B and um, next thing I'm up and out. And as I'm looking from what perspective wise would look as, you know, above down, everything speeds up again, just like that. It's like watching a movie go from really slow-mo to super fast forward. And I watched and I had this really bizarre kind of detached interest. I'm not looking down in that car going, oh my God, I'm going to die. I, you know, I'm like, I'm already dead. I'm there. You know, I'm good, you know. And the body is just being taken care of right now. And so I literally watch the car smash into me. So I'm not technically dead yet when I'm actually dead and watching. And that's fascinating to me. That is very fascinating so to mm -hmm. be able to see the impact of what could possibly be taking your own life before it happens. I mean, that's mind blowing. It is mind blowing. But what's so cool is, I mean, like I was 21 when that happened. I'm 51 now. And I have worked with many thousands of people now at this stage, many thousands. And I have had the, the beauty, you know, the blessing of sitting in on so many passings of being there when people are transitioning. I've had the, you know, the privilege of witnessing the miraculous returns, those who should have gone to, you know, um, who cheated death, this whole nine yards. I mean, I've been through all of it. And so I just think it's, it's so amazing at this point to go, here's what happens very frequently is 
you've got someone who is going through their death process and a loved one might be sitting there just absolutely twisted because they're looking at someone that they love suffering and it's just breaking their heart and there's nothing they can do or they're or they're listening as they go through the death rattles or they're seeing them hit these peaks of pain and what is so interesting is that what i learned in that accident is that oh we can lift and lower out of the body at will when it comes you know when that death process is happening i've seen it happen so many times that it validates anything I know about that. And so a soul can choose to stay in the body and experience the pain of the impact or the cancer or the bullet or the hanging or the whatever way they're going. They can choose to experience that if that's something they need to experience. You know, we're all just little scientists and fact finders here gathering tools. And so if it's something that that soul needs, they'll stay in and experience it. If it's not something they need, which like in this instance, I was like, oh my God, I've done this so many times. I really don't need to feel that. And next thing, whoosh, I'm out. And I'm like, oh my God, what just happened? <laughs> you know, you're in this immediate remembering of everything. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It's like playing Monopoly blindfolded and you take the blindfold off and you're like, oh, I remember how this works now. Right. And so I was able to just watch myself as that car hits, T-bones me folds the car in half. My neck goes through the window. My head goes through the window. My neck breaks. Glass shatters everywhere. The car now is spinning through the intersection and then it lands. And so I'm just watching. And the first thing that I notice, and we have such a laugh about this, um, my old sweet mate from college, her name was Mim and Mim was from Charleston. I'm from Virginia. And, um, Mim grew up in Charleston, but in a different part of Charleston from where I lived. And she happened to be two cars behind me at that stoplight. And so what was really bizarre was that from that bird's eye view, I was looking at my old college suite mate watching me die in this car accident. And I could feel her anxiety. I could feel her angst. And also when she realized that it was me. Because at first it was just, oh my God, that poor person, that accident. And then she sees my car and then she sees me dead in the car. And I could feel all of what she was feeling. And it really was kind of like, I'm okay. You know, I'm okay. I wasn't trying to clamor to get to her to change her experience of it or anything like that. I just remember watching and going, I'm all right. Do you know? Um, so that was really interesting being able to, uh, you know, to this day, we still laugh and joke. And she's like, I can't believe you did that to me. Yeah. Um, it kind of <laughs> confirms, it, it confirms for me the, the, the idea that everything is connected. We're connected to everything. We're connected to everything. everyone. And that everyone has the ability to access this, but some um, have just, uh, it's easier for some, uh, some than others. Some are born with it more open, I guess. And it's, uh, some can train it. I guess it's like playing an instrument. Some are like really naturally good at playing an instrument. Some have to work and learn at it. But uh, that's just my um, opinion that's about true. it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, there are people who love and enjoy music, but they never have taken the time to train to learn how to play it. It doesn't mean that they don't equally love it and enjoy it. Right. It just, you know, like I'm sitting in here right now doing this podcast, looking across at my kitchen and it's a room that I like to walk through in order to get to my back door. Um, I don't enjoy 
cooking. I don't enjoy being in the kitchen. You know, I can talk to dead people and I'm pretty good at writing books, but I don't want to stand in front of the frying pan because it, it's, it's not a pleasure for me. Um, so yeah, we all have our areas of expertise. And I do think that all of us have the capacity to train this inherent or innate ability that we have, but based on what it is that we come here to accomplish, you know, uh, I'm an author and a motivational speaker and inspirational speaker about life after death and about metaphysics. So hmm, it would behoove me to be pretty good at it. Right. And so, right. Yeah. It I reminds love- me of, um, my, my own personal experience that I've never had anything paranormal or anything happen my whole life until a few months ago when I had my first what I call angelic contact, uh, all psychic communication. Uh, and I was kind of told that, you know, I'm already doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Just keep doing it. And it was amazing. It, was a, it, it changed my life forever. But, uh, yeah, I want to get back to your story about what happens next. So you're watching and you're seeing your friend, uh, you're feeling her emotions as this uh, crash is occurring. What, what happens next? Well, you know, I'm watching. Of course, now people have stopped and are starting to gather um, because, like, I'm a spectacle. I'm a dead person in a car. The car is, you know, folded in two, and people could see my – I mean, my head went out the the window. Um, And so there was a woman who ran up to the car and put her name and phone number in through the blown-out window of the passenger side on the seat, which I thought was so weird. And I remember watching this going, that's so weird. And then I watched a guy in a uniform come over and reach through um, the passenger side window and turn the engine off so the car wouldn't explode. And I remember him very distinctly. And so as I'm watching the people kind of gather and congregate, all of a sudden that sound changes and that low drone becomes this beautiful symphony of, of tones. Um, I always call it the music of the spheres. And it was just this amazing, um, series of tones that I've never, ever heard recreated although I've tried many times, um, it was just these incredible series of harmonics that just went through your essence. Um, You became that sound. And so a lot of people have asked, you know, is that when you went through the tunnel of light? I didn't get a tunnel. I got those sounds. Um, So I know some people who've gone through a tunnel and then they've had that experience of opening up into the light. Well, for me, what happened was that frequency went from that low drone up into those, into those beautiful sounds. And I didn't have an experience of going through anything. I was here one second and then I was somewhere else. And so it was those sounds that took me into what I kind of consider like grand central station. Um, It was this beautiful atmosphere, the palpable, uh, the air, you could touch it, you could mold it, you could play with it. It was incredible. There were colors that, you know, I've never, ever, ever seen here. I could hear those sounds, although I had no ears. I was those sounds. And so I just basked in this. It was, an, it was amazing. Like there was no physical body, but I still recall being aware of a form, if you understand. So it wasn't like I just suddenly became one with the infinite reality. Right. You know, I was like, I was still aware that I was me. I knew that I knew I'd just been Mary Helen. I knew what I'd just done, but now I was just like super smarter. I knew a whole bunch of other things that I'd had to forget in order to go do that. So it's really now in this beautiful environment with these fabulous sounds and colors and all what's happening is I'm going, Oh, 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 Oh yeah. That's what it was like. 
I've heard people say that whenever they have these experiences, it's like waking up from a dream into, a, you know, the real reality of, right. of what things are. Right, exactly. And so how long I was in that space, I have no idea. But eventually what happened was that atmosphere started taking shape in front of me. And so I still believe that this was for my benefit because I, you know, there you are freshly dead and hanging out in the space all by yourself. Um, and so, you know, these, these magical beings appear in front of you. The atmosphere actually started taking shape and two individuals stepped forward and they very much so took on a human appearance because, you know, as one can imagine, just because you're detached from the physical body, you're still having an experience. You're, you're, you're still a sentient being. So there was an element of the shock of having just left a body, you know, and arriving into the space and, and looking around you going, oh my God. Oh yeah. You know, it's, it's like if somebody calls you, <laughs> this is exactly what it's like. Have you ever done this? Cause I do it all the time. Now everybody knows. Um, they call you and you answer the phone and you were dead asleep and they're like, oh my God, did I wake? And you're like, no, no, I was up. I was reading. Yes. I was like, and you're just lying, you know? <laughs> right, right. And then you're, and you're just talking gibberish. <laughs> I think I did that this morning, actually. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, that's what it was like, you know? It's kind of like you're like going, uh, what just happened here? Um, and you're, you're like, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. But all this stuff is kind of unfolding around you. And so I think for my benefit, these two beings stepped forward and took on a persona that would make me more comfortable, a little bit more in keeping with what I had taught, I'd been taught to believe would actually happen. And because, you know, I'm now kind of going, okay, I'm dead and I'm, I'm good. But I'm looking around and I'm like, where is everybody? Because you know, in, in my Sunday school class, they said Jesus was going to be there or, or my dead grandmother or somebody. And so I've got these two guys who are stepping forward in these and they had on the, oh, these beautiful robes, but they were this caramel color. I will never forget. Um, it was the most beautiful color and it had like this pearly essence to it, but it was alive. It's like the, the clothing or the image of clothing that they had on was like, it was alive. It was so cool. Um, so they're there and they look like two older men. And I happened as a child to be someone who was always in love with old people. So where like maybe my friends would go off and they're playing with other kids their age, and which I did that too. But if there were old people around, I'm with the old people. I just had this affinity from the time I was quite young with elderly people and it just, and still do to this day. And so it would completely make sense that that would be the image that would step forward for me as, as two beings that looked very elderly. And that made me feel good. And so they just sat there and I'm just kind of sitting there and I'm like, okay, what's supposed to happen now? And they're waiting very patiently. And I could not figure out yet who they were. And they just waited very patiently. And then all of a sudden, it was like a ton of bricks fell on my head. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, these are my guardians. Oh, God, we have guardians. Oh, yeah, we have guardians. Hang on a second. Oh, my gosh, you guys have been with me since I was a me. And this homecoming ensues of just, oh, my, there you are. Oh, but these weren't family. And these weren't people that I had known incarnate on earth. And this wasn't a dead relative. This wasn't, 
you know, these were beings that were separate from me, yet completely a part of me. And this was fascinating because that is totally not what I was taught to believe when I was growing up in church, you know? Right. Um, and you're kind of like looking around and you're like, okay, where are the harps and the angels? Um, you know, this was a very, very different experience. These were beings. And so probably as close as I can think that when my father saw those celestial beings that he described, I'd say probably what he got was a visit from his own guides that was tangible and something he could actually see. And he didn't know how else to describe them because, you know, here these guys are, there's no wings. Um, is there an angelic realm? I have loads of people who work with angelic realm who are very taken by the angels and this. It's not the realm that I work with. Um, does that mean it doesn't exist? No. Do you know, I've never been to Cambodia. Does that mean it's not on the map somewhere? Of course it is. Right. Do you know, there are so many different ways to interact with the worlds and the realms that are around with, you know, around us. And so the more I look at it, the more I see that, um, especially based on my own experience, that these beings will appear to conform to your belief system, whatever is easier for you to take in or, um, you know, what's right for you to see at the time, because that is what my guide, who I believe I spoke mm -hmm. with, told me uh, that they can appear as whatever form. Uh, but whatever form is best for you. And right. uh, that's just based on my experience and, and, and others as well. Right. You know, so like an, an almond-eyed gray at that point of death probably wouldn't be a good appearance to take on for me. Do you know, like I'd been like, because <laughs> I was just brand new to this, you know, <laughs> this whole dying thing. And so um, once we started to reconnect and then it was like this, you experienced this in your um, recent encounter a few months ago there's this transference of knowledge and nobody's talking there's no mouths moving instantaneous it, communication it's, it's instantaneous it's just like somebody plugs a usb key in and you're like oh oh oh, oh yeah oh, oh, yeah right but then all of a sudden you're aware that there's so much more than the the 21 years you've just left behind you're starting to remember and and place into context multiple experiences, multiple lifetimes. And here's for me where it got most interesting because after we had had our greetings and our hellos and this download of information, now it's time for me to review the life I've just left. And what's happening is I'm like, again, in the perception of what I had just been taught in the life I had just died in was that somebody would be judging my performance and this was not a critique and let's send you home with some notes to work on. This is the great judgment and you're either going up or you're going down. And that was it. And I'm going, okay. And I'm looking around and what unfolds was the coolest thing. And to this day, like to recreate, this would just be, oh, it was like I was in a cinema, but it was a 360 cinema. And so I suddenly have this awareness. Oh my God, that's how this works. Oh yeah. And I'm in the center of this. And I am watching myself getting lost at Virginia Beach at the age of five. While I'm being raped at a college party at the age of 17. While I am winning Living History Day at the age of 12. All at the same time. And you want to talk about paradigm shifting walls falling down mind blowing this was it this was that moment 
where you have that inner knowing, you're owning, not just trying to in intellectualize a concept. You are now owning concurrent life, concurrent lifetimes within one single life and within multiple experiences. Oh my God, this is all happening simultaneously. And everything that I thought that I had known to be true just disappeared. Just disappeared. You couldn't that, even try to. That's fascinating. It, right? And I've heard the same thing from near death experiencers that that's very amazing. Yeah. So, you know, there I am watching all of these things. And so of course I'm kind of like peeking around a little bit going, well, well, is God supposed to be here? What's happening? <laughs> you know, like who's judging this? Is there a proxy? Does he send in a, you know, his, you know, his second man, uh, what happens here? And I'm suddenly realizing I'm watching. And then I'm suddenly very aware that I'm watching my own creation. And everything that happened, every experience that happened during the course of that lifetime is of my own doing of my own creation. I'm watching every person who crosses my path, every individual, the good, the bad, the ugly, the wonderful, all of them coming in with a gift. And I'm watching, oh my God, you got it that time. Oh, you didn't get it that time. Oh, you got it that time. Oh, could have done better there. And I'm listening to myself, pen in hand, you know, critiquing my performance and going, God, if you had that to do over, wouldn't this make so much more sense now? Da, 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 right? And then you're looking around going, Who's judging this? And you realize it's you. You're judging your own performance. And you're not even judging it. You're critiquing it. Because it's you who set it up in the first place. And all the stuff that you thought was so awful, you had actually put into motion so it would happen. So that it would be there for you to, for you to see how you'd get through it. And people, why would you do that? Well, first of all, if you're trying to think about that with, uh, you know, five senses, in a human body, you know, in this corporeal experience, you're never going to understand that, you know, because if you're seeing it from a place of, you know, everything is black and white, good and evil, you know, reward and punishment. Um, that's not how it works. That's a duality. That is a perception that we take on when we come here. And I find that so interesting because we spend so much time talking about how awful that is. And, Oh, the, the the um, illusion of the duality, you fools, and you know, and I'm going. That's what we came here for. We came here because it offers that. Do you know? It's a learning experience, like a big training ground. Right, and what you know? What I come from Martinsville, Virginia, and we have a NASCAR track there, and there's NASCAR all over the South. You know, but they call um, the track that we have the safety pin track because apparently it's a it's a very short kind of one mile experience that's very, very different and unique um, compared to some of the other tracks. And so the drivers will always talk about how much they love the Martinsville experience because it's so different. You know, they get to drive their vehicles different. It pushes them to different boundaries. And so when you're trying to think about an experience and, and how a hardship could have been something that you wanted to have in your life, when you're, you know, when you're thinking about it with your human mind, you're like, I would never do that to myself. I'd never ask for cancer. I would never ask for my husband to cheat on me. I would never have asked for my sister to be murdered. I would never have asked, you know, and the list goes on. And then all of a sudden you're sitting in this space going, I, I asked exactly for that. I asked to be part of that. I wanted to be in that experience to see how I would react, to see how I could grow, 
to see how I could evolve. How, you know, while stripped away of all remembrance and understanding of what I actually am, how quickly could I get back to the knowing that this didn't happen to me, but for me. And that the one who put it in, in on the plate in front of me was me. And that was fascinating. But what's so wild about that is an awful lot of people will have a near-death experience and they'll come back and they'll talk about the love and the feelings that they had and all this. And that's, you know, kind of as much as they can remember, but that's all that matters really is that feeling that they have. But what was so weird for me was that I have a very detailed memory of everything that happened. And so like I sit talking to you about this as if I'm in it right now, like the hair is standing on the back of my head and this is like 30 years ago, you know? And I'm just like, oh my. I get very excited every time that I talk about it because the reality of it is, is so mind blowing and it changed the way that I lived those next 30 years of my life. You know, I sit here at 51 and like, I get excited when I open a phone bill. I get excited when I open the electricity bill. I get excited when something wonderful happens. I get excited when something not so wonderful happens. And that's the beauty of that experience is that you no longer look at yourself ever again. You can't be the victim of anything. It's not possible. And so, therefore, you can't blame other people for it. You can't blame them for anything in your life. All you can do is turn around and in your mind go, thank you. Thanks for showing up. Now, in the heat of the moment, might you lose the run of yourself, as they'd say here in Ireland? Sure, that's part of being human. But the beauty of having this understanding is that, you know, doesn't happen too much longer after something's happened that you're like, that was for me. Thank you for that. Thanks for showing up. Thanks for giving me that. I nearly let myself down. I nearly let myself down the other day. And I do this for a living. I have had the near-death experience. I've been there. That's part of being human. And sometimes we get in the game, you know, and I was walking into a hardware store to buy a refrigerator and I had my mask on and I didn't want to use their soap because they were using this industrial strength, horrible soap to wash hands before they went into the shop. And like, I'm a doctor and I'm washing my hands all day long. So I use this special soap so that my skin doesn't fall off, you know, and they wouldn't let me in. And so I had to take a deep breath. And I had to go, what are you going to do right now? Because I almost embarrassed myself. I was this close. Because that rage built up inside and the, the ridiculousness of everything that was happening around me. And then I stopped and I just went, you asked to be here in the height of the ridiculous, in the theater of the sublime. You asked to be here. You wanted to be here. So every time you find yourself getting a little bit ticked off, you need to step back. And as enlightened as you think you are, guess what? You're not. Or else you wouldn't need to be here. And I was like, uh, just, so I'm laughing at myself 24-7. That's what I do. After having had that incredible, life-changing, mind-blowing experience, I laugh at myself all the time. Yeah, and I, I think it's funny that, you know, if it is the nature of reality that we choose to come back and live you know, a certain way during a certain time, I always ask myself, why the hell did I pick, you know, this period of time where I would go through this, you know, kind of like apocalyptic major awakening stage turning point of the, of the planet, uh, you know, and I, I just find that fascinating that if the, that's the case that we're deciding this, uh, some of the things that we decide to, to, to learn and put ourselves through is really Absolutely. crazy. But you're into the paranormal. You'll, you're into these bizarre experiences and all that. Where else would you be? Like, this is it. 
Do you know? Right. But then what that experience showed me is it's not why did you pick this time? You pick this time and all the other ones as well, because guess what? We are fractals of the same whole. And we are seeing this experience through multiple sets of eyes, you know, 8 billion and something on the earth at the moment. Right. And we're getting the opportunity through 8 billion plus eyes to see what this experience looks like. Because to you and I, we might be seeing this, oh my God, there's a war between dark and light going on. And there's this going on and the, and the world banks are doing this and politics are doing this. And the kid in Africa who's being handed his little plate of food and it might be the only time he eats this week. He is not having the same reality or the same experience that you and I are. He is completely and utterly 100% unaffected by that because he incarnated into that space for that experience at the exact same time that we are having this. Therefore, we are fractals of the same whole experiencing the earth at this point from multiple sets of eyes. And we've been doing it since the dawn of creation. And this is so synchronistic because me and my, uh, my business partner, Corey, were having this exact same conversation last night, how it's the universe, it's, we, you know, we're, we're a part of it, and it's like the universe wants to experience everything and everything, and it creates to experience it, and uh, just keeps creating and experiencing and growing, and uh, it's, it's just the way that I look at it, but um, it's so fascinating when, when you start looking at the bigger picture of everything. Absolutely. So, yeah, so, you know, there's beginning and middle and an end to this story. And, you know, there I am and I'm having this great awakening and this great understanding. And what was taking place was this recognition of I'm in complete control. I am the bus driver. So it's not like somebody gave me a choice to go back. I was making all of my decisions. I'm going back because I'm not done yet. I actually like that character because, you know, me, this kid, you know, even though, you know, I'm 18 in my head, I'm 51 years old, but I love the person that I am because I'm, I'm real funny and I'm really excited. I have a childlike wonder. I love and, and I have really serious hyperactivity. And so I'm always doing lots of things all at the same time and I'm laughing constantly and what's really funny is that I'm here by myself raising these two girls and, you know, and just on some days I am just fabulous and other days I'm making a complete balls of it and it's great. And that is, and I was like, yeah, that, I want to go do that. And so I chose to go back. But these guides, these beings told me, okay, that's awesome. You go do that. But here's what's going to happen. If you choose to go back in now that you've had the big awakening, you're not going to go back to sleep again. You're going to go back in with memory of all of this. I'm like, okay, no, it's not just about having memory. It means you, you now are changing your commitment of service. Okay. We're going to show up for you. We'll be there when you need us, but we're going to raise the stakes a little bit. Let's make this interesting. You're not going to go just back and, you know, have these dreams and somebody drops dead the next week you're going to be able to go back and touch somebody and download a hard drive and go through every file record ever of every experience that they have ever had while incarnate on this plane. And you're going to be able to go and pick out the things that are going to assist them in finding their own way back to health. And I'm like, Oh, is that all? <laughs> you know? no, really? Really? Oh, and by the way, you don't get to just slide back into that body. You know, 
That was a pretty nasty little accident down there. All right. I know where this is going. And yeah. so there I go at breakneck speed back into a broken body, a broken neck. And I have to learn how to reinvent myself, not only physically, but spiritually and emotionally, because everything that I have now always taught myself to believe is true. You know, this is a solid substance or is it? And this is also a solid substance that, that allows me to go do, do, do. And then I can have a full blown conversation with somebody on the other side of the world. What? And I'm the nut job because I use frequency to heal. Right. Nobody questions the fact that they can communicate every single day by bouncing a frequency from one phone to a satellite to another phone, but I can't see it. I can't right. feel it. I can't smell it. I can't taste it. And so I came back charged with the ability and the, and the task of, helping people learn how to manipulate frequency in a positive way so that they not only could change their physical state, but their emotional state and become the creators of what was happening around them in a more conscious way. Because we Man. were always creating, whether you're asleep, you know, but the picture that you create when you're sleepwalking is very different than the one you pr that you create when you're awake. Now, when you were shot back to your body, did you immediately remember all of this experience or did it take a minute for everything to come back? At that stage, I went, to, I went into a body that was on the pavement. They had used the jaws of life and pulled me out of that car, and I was on that pavement, pavement and the body was strapped to a board with the – my neck was broken, you know, so a thing wow, around the so neck. this all happened in a short amount of, of our reality's time, I guess. 15, 20 minutes maybe? Our, our perception of time at least. Yeah, 15 or 20 minutes. So what was really interesting was when I'm down on that board, I was like, let me up. And I went to stand up. Now, like, I don't even know my neck is broken at this stage. <laughs> this is so bizarre. And I'm like trying to stand up. And I remember going back down to the ground and they're like, what is going on? You know, they're like, get it. And I'm like, then boom, I'm out of consciousness again. And the next thing I wake up and I'm inside of the ambulance and I see this woman and she's, she would have been my mother's age in the back of that ambulance. And she was stroking my hair and she kept saying, you're okay, sweetie. We're not going to let you die. And now all of a sudden I'm like, did she just say die? And then I'm like, no, no, no. I've already been dead. I've already been dead. And now I'm now I start freaking out. And I was like yelling and I'm talking about everything that's just happened. And I sound like an absolute nut job because you know, okay, it's a head injury. She broke her neck through the window. So, you know, but I get, and then boom, I pass out again. And then I wake up again in the ER and I'm in a, in a room there and hours now have passed. And what was so bizarre is I don't realize that my neck is broken yet. And so I'm like trying to swallow and I notice I can't swallow properly. You know, I'm like choking every time I try to swallow. And, um, I was laying back on the bed and this guy walks into the room and I'm kind of looking, is, is he a doctor? Uh, whatever. And then I realized he's got on a uniform. And so he comes up and the first thing he said to me was you're one lucky little lady. And I'm just looking at him. And then all of a sudden I went, I know. You. And then I'm hearing my voice going, Oh, it doesn't sound like my voice. And I'm like, I know you, you know, and I'm like, you were at the accident. And then he just freezes. And he's like, excuse me. And I'm like, you were at the accident. And then he kind of ignores me. And then he goes, 
can you tell me anything that you remember? And I'm like, now I'm trying to pull myself up in the bed. And then I realize something is really wrong. You know, I've got that thing on my neck. I like, I didn't, you know, now I'm starting to go, oh no, my body is screwed. Um, because at first I'm just laying still and I wake up and not really aware of what's happening. And then I'm trying to shift around and I'm moving up and then I, I, I'm looking at him and I'll go, you need to ask my, my old sweet mate. Her name is Mim Downs. You need to find her. And then there was this lady and she put her name, name and number in the car. And that like, he's like looking at me. And I said, and there was this guy, there was an officer, someone in a uniform. And all of a sudden I go, Oh, hang on a second. It was you. And he had this little notebook and he closed the notebook and he starts like backing up. Right. Because now he is terrified because he is realizing that there is, he's the one who was organizing getting my dead body out of the car. And he's like, there is no way. Okay. Maybe let's say you caught a glimpse of consciousness and you saw him there fair enough or whatever. But how could I have possibly known that she was two cars behind me? How could I have seen the other lady come across and put it in through the driver's side window? He's starting to put two and two together, right? And now I'm starting to put two and two together. And I'm like, I've just come out of this amazing experience. I'm now in this body and I feel like I've been trampled by a herd of elephants. Um, I just hurt from head to toe. I don't even know how to say it or what to, what to say because everything hurts. And I've got this guy looking at me and acting like he doesn't know that he was at my accident, you know, and I don't realize that he's realizing, hang on a second. And so he left and I was left to sit there. And what was so freaking bizarre was that this was a teaching hospital I was taken to in Charleston and it was a Saturday and they were understaffed. I was eventually let out without having had my neck x-rayed and it wasn't until I ended up going to a chiropractor, a guy called Dr. Anthony Ross on Johns Island in Charleston, who was the one who sat down and went through my body from head to toe and identified all the breaks. It was like I landed in that hospital only to go out of it to discover what was going on. And if they had, if they had fixed any of my injuries in there, the next steps wouldn't have unfolded the way that they did. Right. And so I'm now Dr. Ross can't help himself because he's an absolute genius and he's so incredibly gifted when it comes to the human body that now I'm going from a place that I'm completely broken. And rather than telling me, okay, it's this, this, and we're just fixing this and this, he educated me inside and out. Right. And so now it's making sense that my grandfather had come to me, you know, comes to me and he says, you're going to chiropractic school. And I'm like, uh, hell no was my <laughs> answer. <laughs> I've just graduated from college. I've just been in, I've been 21 years of my life in school. I'm not going back. Right. And, you know, are you kidding me? And I'm going, wait a second, into chiropractic school? And at that stage, I'm like, is, are, you know, you're a medical doctor. Why would you send me off to be some kind of alternative kind of doctor? Do you know, like, what the heck, you know? And so basically what he explained was that 
I needed to go where I was going because of what was going to be coming. I needed to go and learn a vitalistic approach to how the human body works, that we aren't just our pieces and parts. We don't just take something out when it's broken or patch over it or medicate it when it's, you know, whatever that I needed to understand how the spirit drives the body and how the body is there to serve the spirit. And I'm like, what? And then I start going through that process and I finally understood why I had to be. And also because of the gifts that I came back in with, it allowed me legally to have my hands on lots and lots and lots of people. And so I began to start to understand how this manipulation of, of energy and frequency that I had, um, how to work it. And so that's how I became a doctor. And that's how that part of my life unfolded. And to this day, 30 years later, um, they have never, ever let me down. Wow. You know, it's, I'm always surrounded by like, and especially when it comes to helping other people, if it's, you know, because being a healer doesn't mean you just stick your hands on somebody and whatever ails them goes away. That's, that's a terrible disservice and something that fuels the ego. Because as I have learned, and as you know, if we've got something going on, it's because something needs our attention. You know, I've had cancer twice. And when I had cancer, it was because I completely dropped the ball on myself on something that I knew. I knew that I shouldn't do it. And I did it anyway. And the only way in my busy life at that moment to get my own attention was to get some cancer. And then as soon as I, I'm like, oh, gosh, are we that serious? Okay, I got it. You know, hands up. I get it. It's nobody else's fault. I did this. And if I did this, then I can undo it. So I've undone it twice in my life, do you know? Right. I've, I've survived an accident like that. I've had a brain tumor. I've had every disease known to man because I have experimented with this body. Um, you know, now as I get older, I don't do, I don't do it quite so often anymore because it gets a little bit more difficult. Um, but I, I am completely in control of the experiences that are happening in this body and in my life. And so I spend my time teaching people that they are too. That is and so, so awesome. all, yeah, all I do is, you know, I cheat all the time using the extra, you know, sensory perceptive abilities and, you know, the ability to communicate with those who are outside of this realm or being able to see something that happened in what we perceive as the past or in the future. All I do is utilize that to assist the person, but I'll never unwrap the gift for them. I will give them what they need in order to get from A to B but I'm not going to drive them there. Now, speaking of, we've got about uh, 25 minutes or so left. I'd like to hear about some of your, like how did you get started actually healing and some of your success stories and maybe your first healing that you've ever done, just as much as you can get out in this amount of time. <laughs> okay. Um, oh, gosh. There have been so many stories. Um, and that's what I love is that it comes in so many different um, in so many did it first? Ways. Let's start with the first one. What, what, what was how what was the first one like? The first one wasn't actually one big aha moment because it was I was actually in chiropractic school. What it actually started as was before I got to chiropractic school. Um, I had to do two years. I was an art major. I majored in communications and graphic design. So you can imagine all of a sudden the dead grandfather appears and he's like, "Hey, you're going to become a doctor," and I'm like. Uh-uh. You know, like I can't balance a checkbook. <laughs> and I heard I had to do chemistry and physics in order to get into school. And um 
so I ended up having to take two years of a, an associate's degree in chemistry and physics, which is one of my proudest laughable moments because I am so right brained that how I got through that experience was sheerly because I was meant to be continuing on this path. I, I scraped through chemistry and physics by the skin of my teeth. And so it was during this time and post accident that all of a sudden I would be in a shop and something would happen. A person would come in, they'd have this problem or whatever, and I knew how to fix it. And so this is what began to unfold, this being in the right place at the right time thing. And it became more than just a winky dink. It was happening like every day, right? And so that's how it began. And then, you know, I remember walking out of the grocery store one, one day and this old man walked past me and he gave me a wink and he goes, oh, you've been there. And I'm like, what? And he goes, double heart chakra. He said, look at mine. And I've always been able to see the energy or the life around people. And all of a sudden I'm looking at him and he teaches me in that moment that if somebody has had an out of body experience, not just out of body and like astral traveling, but a, that kind of a disconnect where they go out and then make that choice to come back in. There's a double footprint. There's a double heart chakra. And so I learned this walking out of the piggly wiggly in South Carolina, you know, and he's like, I recognized you. I, I see you. And then now I can't unsee that, you know, so like I can tell immediately if somebody's been through a near death experience or, you know, has had that type of an out of body experience. Um, and then I would be there and, some project would unfold that only I knew how to get them connected with the person. So I started becoming this like dot connector. Um, and then, Oh, here's one experience I could tell you. I'm in chiropractic school and imagine this is all pretty fresh. And I went into school married and came out not married um, because you can only imagine to that wonderful, loving sweetheart of mine that, that I moved to Charleston with and was married to for four years. He did not sign up for that for a lifetime, you know. Um, obviously, in the grand scheme of things, he signed up for it for the period of time that it lasted. But, like, imagine you're marrying one person, and the next thing, you know, like you wake up in the middle of the night, and where is she? You know, that's a little unnerving. Um, and what was happening was I started, you know, I was hearing voices. And the voice would go, get up, go to the hospital. And I'm like, Okay. And so I would, and I would do it and I'd follow that voice. And I remember walking into the hospital and walking down this long corridor and it was dark and it was quiet. And I was just allowed to walk in. Nurses didn't stop me. They just assumed I was family. And I kept walking and there was this woman waiting at the end of the hall and it was in the middle of the night. And she just looked at me, she put her hands out and hugged me. And she said, I prayed. I knew somebody was coming. Now I didn't know her and she didn't know me, but she had been sitting there praying so hard and um, just that somebody turn up and her son was sitting in that, in that room and he was on life support and he'd been in a horrendous motorcycle accident. And she said, they have said there's absolutely nothing that can be done here. The brain damage is so severe. And she goes, but that's my boy. And I cannot turn that life support off. And I said, well, why don't we do it together? And so, oh, it makes me, wah! And so in we went, and I stood at the end of the bed with her, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. You know, so imagine, like, are you supposed to say this out loud that you help people die too? Um, 
I'm at the end of the bed and I took her hands in mine and I put them on top of his feet and she couldn't bear to turn the switch off. And so I said, we're going to do this a different way. And I sat there with her and this wave of palpable energy that I can literally feel as I speak comes through the two of us and he flatlines and then it was done. And she hugs me and she's so grateful and I walk away and we never see each other again. And so whatever you want to call it, God, the source, the universe, that, you know, that cohesive interaction. Um, you know, when we talk about angels coming into our lives or if we talk about time travelers or if we talk about sentient beings or, you know, aliens or ETs or, you know, really what we're talking about is just different manifestations of that same whole, you know, we're just I different agree. manifestations, that fractal of that same whole. And if you happen to be in the right place at the right time, meaning that God can use you in a mighty way and you have made yourself available to be used that way, that's what happened. And from, from then forward, I was like, I'm always on call if you guys need me because that was awesome. It was awesome. Wow. And is that the way it usually works? You'll get this uh, feeling that you just need to go somewhere and, and be a certain place or meet a certain person? Yeah. And then, you know, nowadays, of course, because I've been doing it for so many years and I've written so many books and, you know, people know and people contact me. But it's always interesting to people. I don't ever get contacted by the people who are just looking for a superficial kind of, you know, I just want you to take all my problems away. Um, they're there because they want to do the work. And it's been really interesting that way. You know, I, I, so I'm attracting in the type of people who are ready to really take responsibility and take it to the next level. Um, now, do you always have the ones who, you know, a beloved sister or a spouse or whatever has cancer and you get that phone call? Uh, yeah, of course, I do that often. Um, however, I explain to them straight out, while I can put my hands on that and make that go away just like that, which in the very beginning I used to, and that I learned the hard way and the very um, humbling way that eventually it's going to come back and it's going to show up as something else, either another type of cancer or another type of disease form because they didn't get what it was there for. And you just bypassed them because your ego wanted to make that cancer go away. And I had to go through that experience. You know, I, I had to be the healer almighty. You know, I had, I had to go through the Jesus complex in order to get to this point where you go in and you would never ever in a million years take away someone's suffering just to make yourself feel more comfortable or to make that family member feel more comfortable that you're yeah. there to honor the process and that you are there as a servant, as a steward of humanity. And it has nothing to do with your agenda or what you want. Man, this is such great, great information. It's really resonates with, you know, my own experiences and beliefs. Um, and I think, you know, everybody needs to, to take a look at some of your books. Now, um, before you head out, you uh, are actually working on a new project since the pandemic started. Uh, is that right? A good few new projects. <laughs> well, why don't you tell us about that's, a few of those before you head out? That's the beauty of the AD, the ADAD, the attention dialed into another dimension, um, is constantly creating and constant new ideas. And, um, yeah, actually I have, I just released a new book yesterday, um, which is called Hugh and the Manatee, which is, um, 
a, a preteen. So it's, it's um, aimed at ages nine through 12. And it's a gender, the first book in a gender identity series. Um, and so it uses um, a little boy called Hugh who loves musical theater and he's a brilliant swimmer and he's got loads of friends, uh, but he likes to paint his nails and he's, you know, loves sparkly things. And um, he has a set of bullies who are, have been very hard on him. And so when they catch him down at the Springs in Florida with his shoes off and they see his painted toenails and they start to bully him, a magical manatee comes up and takes the children underwater on an adventure where the manatee utilizes the aquatic creatures because there are just so many um, that are gender fluid and goes, look, that daddy seahorse is carrying those babies. Look, that race fish, fish over there has survived for millions of years because it can change gender at will. Look, that, you know, and so rather than shaming the bullies, the magical manatee teaches the bullies via these aquatic creatures. And with every lesson, there is an experience that the girls are going through that they feel this warm kind of honey-like sensation. And it's a sound, it's a frequency. And so um, the, the moral of the story in the book is that rather than shaming these bullies, we educate these bullies, we give them something that maybe they never had the chance to come across anywhere else in their lives. And we use frequency because that's what I use in my healing work um, is all frequency because that's all we are, is frequency and light. Um, and so we use frequency. So we're introducing to that age group, the idea that you can actually manipulate frequency in the world around you. And so that it's what allowed these girls to have a change of heart. And, you know, when young Hugh asked the manatee, um, after the girls have changed their ways towards him, well, wait a minute, I was hearing it too. You know, they, they, what happened, look what happened to them. Well, what happened to me? And the manatee is like, you allowed them to change. And that's the power of love. And so this is the first in an entire series because I believe that every child out there has the right to see themselves represented in children's literature. And, um, you know, the more, as we, the more we move forward to realizing, kind of moving out of that, the, the old white guy mentality of, of the world that we live in and the rules that we follow and bringing in that beautiful diversity and inclusiveness and all that, um, you know, part of what I wanted to do was bring some literature in at an early and I think very crucial stage for, for our children coming in because these kids are different, you know, their ability to express their willingness to express their want to be different than just the pink and the blue and the black and the white and the, you know, and we've got to be there to support them as they do that. And so I stepped outside of all of the work I do in metaphysics to kind of work a little bit on this series because I thought it was very important. Um, and then I have another book coming out very soon. Um, it'll be on Amazon audible and it's the very first book on Audible to be backed by these healing frequencies and brainwave states that correlate with the stories that are being told. So understanding is the new healing is all about my healing adventures and, you know, these sessions that I've done. And what's interesting is that rather than the listener just hearing the story, it's giving them, them an immersive experience where if there is something being told in the story, the frequency that correlates with that, let's say it's something that deals with fear, guilt, shame, anger, grief, you know, um, we know that that resonates at 396 Hertz within the human experience. And so with a gamma brainwave state and a 396 degree or Hertz frequency playing in the background while they're listening to a story that has to do with that, it doesn't mean that they have to have experienced the exact same story 
but if they resonate with a feeling that the story is giving, that it's giving them the opportunity to heal whatever happened in their own lives via that frequency. It's wicked. It's awesome. I'm so excited about it. That's so cool. Dr. Mary Helen, I want to thank you so much for coming on today. That was fascinating information. Before you take off, um, could you let everyone know if they're interested in finding your books and more information about you, what's the best way that they can do so? Website, maryhelenhensley.com. All right. Very good. Pretty much everything I have is also on Amazon. Um, So, um, you know, you can go through the website and uh, or you can go straight to Amazon. Awesome. Well, Dr. Marilyn, thank you so much. And uh, we thank you we talk uh, about so much. For other hours. Stuff. Yeah. So I'd love to have you back on in the future. I'd love that. All right. Well, you have a great rest of your day. Thanks so much. Thank you. You have a good night.